Join me in Nehemiah chapter 7. As we look here in Nehemiah 7, I'm thankful for um, all that God has taught us so far in the book of Nehemiah. And, and now we come to the place where the wall is finished. And uh, so oftentimes we think, well, we've accomplished what I've set out to do. It's going to be easy street from here on out. Well, Nehemiah knew better, or he learned better, one or the other. I'm not sure which, but we have in record that it wasn't over now that uh, the wall was built. And so they had some trials and challenges. And, you know, as we strive to rebuild, as we strive to go forward in Christ, there's going to be not, some, not only challenges to get to our goals, but also on the other side of our goals to maintain. If you've ever tried to have a goal of losing weight, you know that not only is it as hard to get to your goal that, you're, that you want to make, but also sometimes it can be hard to stay there. Can I get an amen? Yeah, and so you know that it's hard sometimes. Well, in, in Nehemiah's life, he experienced some difficulties as well. But we find that on the backside of this almost is like a time of reflection as he recounts and looks back and he tries to discern uh, what really matters, what counts for God. You know, have you ever struggled with feelings that your life is not worthwhile? You know, a lot of people struggle with discouragement or depression or whatever you want to label it. And, and sometimes we, we go through and we think, man, life flies so quickly and I, I don't know what I've accomplished in my life. What really matters? Well, I'm thankful that Nehemiah, as he got to this point, he answers that. And those who, uh, who, those who take time to really to seek the Lord and to live their life for Christ and for His purpose find that, man, their life is, is so much better and they feel like their, their life feels fulfilled. Nehemiah 7 has some great... It's kind of a challenging chapter. If you look at it, you look at it, you can find that there are 73 verses. And starting in verse number 7, it begins really uh, just names a lot and a lot of names. And you think, why in the world did God put Nehemiah 7 here? Matter of fact, if you look at, back at Ezra chapter 2, it almost mirrors Ezra, Ezra chapter 2. So why would God take up space in the Bible uh, to make you read both of these things twice? Verses 6 through 73 are almost essentially the same as Ezra chapter 2. So why did God do that? And there's a lot of names, and trust me, I'm not going to read the entire chapter tonight. And the church said, Amen. We are going to read uh, some of the first six uh, verses and some other parts and pieces in there. But when we come to this, sometimes we get to these begats, or we get to the children of, uh, and the children of, and the begat so-and-so, and begat so-and-so. And sometimes we just glance over them and keep going. But this chapter serves as a pivotal point in the book of Nehemiah. The first six chapters uh, describe the restoration of the wall in Jerusalem. And, and then chapters 8 through 13 tell about the restoration of the people of Judah. And so in the first half of the book, the people existed for the walls, but now the walls must exist for the people. And it's, this was the time where the, uh, they organized the community so that the citizens could enjoy the, the life that God intended for them to have. And so we see kind of like a pivotal moment here in the study of Nehemiah and in his life. And so... Chapter 7, as we look here, begins with some verses describing the precautions that Nehemiah took to guard the, this city, as well as wrapping up the first half of the book. And so we see here that, uh, that, that this is where we're at. So let's read in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 together, as we begin this incredible uh, uh, time together tonight. It says, Now it came to pass, when the wall was built... And I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I gave my brother Hanani, 
and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charged over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches in the inhabitants of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch and every one to be over against the house. Now the city was large and great, but the people few, were few therein, and the houses were not builded. And my God put into mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people, that they may be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first and was found written therein. And these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those that had been carried away from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah, everyone unto his city. And so let's stop there and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you as always for your word. Lord, we thank you for the Bible, Lord, and what it means to our lives. And God, it has uh, done so much uh, to bring us hope and encouragement. And God, I thank you for this opportunity we have uh, to come together and Lord, to uh, dive deep into your word, Lord, to be able to take some time and to lean, learn and grow and to learn really what matters in this life and what matters to you. And so, God, as we uh, just look at some of these uh, lessons tonight, I just ask you, Lord, that our hearts would be opened, that your spirit would take control, and that, Lord, we would be uh, like clay in the potter's hand. We do love you, Father, and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at here, we see, uh, just here in the book of Nehemiah, a couple of things. But really, the, the important thing that I would just want to focus on is as Nehemiah wraps up the first six chapters, he's really focusing on some things that we can commit ourselves to, things that matter really to God. And we're going to look at five things this evening uh, that, that uh, Nehemiah reveals here in these verses about things that matter to God. And let me just say, worship matters to God. The very first verse, right out of the box, it says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built, I set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. He said, listen, it's important that we, we make a worship a priority in life. Hey, you know, how, how vital we've learned this to be, amen? Uh, being able to get, gather together as a church, to assemble in the name of Christ, to be able to say, listen, uh, our worship gives us hope. Our worship of the Lord uh, brings encouragement. Our, our, this, this time we have together is not, uh, it, it's one of those essential things in life. We've seen that uh, over the last several months if people, as people have been uh, kept from the houses of worship, as we've seen mental health deteriorate across the nation, uh, that this, what we do, is important. It's important to God. Uh, the very first things he did was not just install the doors, but he appointed porters. These are doorkeepers. These are, and then singers and Levites. And so it's striking to see that the very first thing that he mentions are the people that are responsible for worship. Because worship matters. It matters to God. And so the safety of the city was important, yes. But really, it was worship. It was this safety that allowed them to be able to enjoy the worship of the Lord. And so it's important as a church that we gather together and say, listen, this, what we do, is essential. And be reminded of that because the world out there is not going to tell you that the church is essential. So it's, it's important that we remind ourselves this, is, this matters to God. As a matter of fact, as I was studying this afternoon, I was just re reminded uh, as I was preparing for other things through the week of the fact that Jesus Christ died for the church. He died so that we could have the opportunity to assemble. This place is important for, to him. And so in the book of Revelation, 
a good part of heaven, will be spent praising God. Uh, our corporate worship will be heard around the throne of God. It's talked about in Revelation chapter 5. We can see there in verse number 9 as we look there in Revelation 5, 9. Let me get my, my scriptures open there. It says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Later, and just a couple of verses later, in verse 12, it says, saying with a loud verse, voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and, that are, uh, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. You see, worship is not just important today, but it will be important in eternity as well. Uh, not just the singing, but every part of our, uh, our services together is important. The, the scriptures, uh, the time that we sing and we lift our voices to the Lord. These things are important to God. It's important to us as well. Sometimes we have this idea that when we get up to heaven, it's going to look a lot like this. We're going to sit on a cloud and we're going to play a harp. And we're going to say, man, I wish I'd brought a magazine. I wish I had my iPhone with me, something to do. You know, that's a wrong kind of view of heaven. And when we get to heaven, the central figure of heaven is the Lord. And, and we're going to be astounded by His beauty. Amen. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? You ever, you ever go to the Grand Canyon, and if, if you didn't have anyone with you, but you're standing on the edge of this incredible view, you look out over uh, this vast canyon and see the beauty of the colors and the different things uh, for miles and miles. You can see in both directions and, and across the valley, you can see the other side. And if a stranger was standing next to you, you'd probably look at him and say, wow, isn't that beautiful? Why do we do that? You ever thought about that? Because when we are, are facing something with incredible beauty, we can't help but rejoice in spontaneous praise. You see, that's when we come face to face with the Lord, it's, it's going to be greater than Grand Canyon. It's going to be greater than anything we've seen on this earth. And it's going to, it's going to cause us to desire to praise God because worship is essential. And this praise of God is not going to grow old over time. I think it's going to, going to grow more fervent with the more time that we're there. And as we sing and we worship and we praise the Lord, I think that we're going to find a, a stronger desire to praise God in, after 10,000 years than when we first began. Because we will know Him and we will see Him face to face. And so we see here, right in the beginning, as Nehemiah deals with what matters to God, is this idea of worship. Worship really matters. And so may we not just make worship in the future matter, let's make it important today. The second thing I want to see is in verses 2 and 3, we see a couple of men that exhibited some godly character. And godly character matters to the Lord. It says that I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot, and while they stand by, let, the, uh, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Listen, Nehemiah was a, was a great leader, uh, but he knew that he needed to delegate some responsibility to some competent men. 
And so as he looked, at, looked out, he found these two men. They were related to him. Uh, but as he looked, they looked, he picked them because of the character that they had displayed. In verse number 2, he, he demonstrated that they were both faithful and they feared God. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, The greatest ability is dependability. What a great asset for us to be able to put on. This dependability, this faithfulness. And I think that that's important as, as he lays this out. And as we see the day approaching, it's important for us as, a, as a individually and collectively as a church to say, listen, God, we want to be found faithful. Let's talk about faithfulness very, very quickly. The Hebrew word means reliable. It means truthful. It means firm. Hananiah was a man you could uh, depend on. You could almost set your clock by him. And, and so as we see what Nehemiah wrote, he said we see that he spoke the truth and he promised, if he, if he promised to do something, he did it. And so if, you want, if we want our lives to count for God, we must work at being faithful. I remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, all of us are stewards of the gift, especially of time that God allots to us. And Paul said that it was required that as stewards, we found be, we're found trustworthy or faithful. Faithfulness is an essential ingredient in relationships. Think about this. If you don't trust someone, you're probably not going to get close to that person, right? You always keep your distance for fear that that person's going to stab you in the back or or take something that you've said in confidence and disclose it to the world. And so if you sense someone's not faithful, you also sense they're not trustworthy. So how can we demonstrate faithfulness? How can we develop faithfulness in our life? Because I think that if we're honest, most of us in here would say, I want to be found faithful. I know that that's often a prayer of my own, that God let me be found faithful when that time comes. And so I've got a couple of ways that I want to share with you. And first and foremost, recognize the responsibilities that God has given you to do. You see, as a Christian, we're all given responsibilities. We're all given things that God commands us to live in this life. And, and part of that is to live a morally pure life, a life that honors Him. Be ye holy as I am holy, as the Lord says in 1 Peter. But you know, as a husband and as a father, I'm also res responsible to help provide even the basic needs for my family. As a parent, I'm uh, responsible to train my children in, in God's ways. Train up a child on the way they should uh, go. And when they are old, they shall not depart from it. You know, as a, as a member of the body of Christ, I am responsible to serve Him. I'm responsible to use my gifts because all of us in the church have a gift. How are you using yours? How are you using the gifts that God's given you? Listen, we can't be uh, faithful if we're not if we're kind of foggy about what God's called us to do. So let's first off define what God has given us to do and be willing to do it. Secondly, I, let's, I don't neglect the small things. Because if you're faithful in little things, the Bible teaches you'll be a ruler over much in Luke chapter 16. In this context, the little things refers to managing the money that God has entrusted you. But even greater than that, let me ask you, do, what, what things are, are, are also important? Do you keep your word? Do you live an orderly life? Do you keep your appointments on time? Those things are important. Those things help us to be found faithful. Those are, those are important in our lives. The third thing is keep relational priorities straight. 
Now, I'll be honest, there are times where this can be easy to flip upside down because, you know, uh, with all the demands of uh, trying to be a dad and trying to be a pastor and trying to uh, do this and, and, and work through different challenges, you know, we can, we can make the list go on and on and excuses can, can uh, be uh, mounted up as high as a ceiling. But let me just say that it's easy to get things upside down and so it's important to keep our priorities straight. First and foremost, I'm a child of God. Above everything else, that needs to be the priority in my life. And that means spending a time alone with the Lord each and every day. This is a priority. Nothing gets between my, me and my Lord. The second thing is, and is uh, also important and above everything else is that it is relationship with our family. And my kids are really good about reminding me when I've worked too much. Amen? And they, they're really good about reminding me. Dad, we, when we haven't seen you. You haven't, you haven't had a day off in a long time. Dad, you need to take some time off. Dad, when are you going to be off again? And so it's important for us to not get other things upside down. You know, as, as, sometimes it's easy. I, I just confess my faults here. I, you know, confess your faults one to another. Amen. It's easy to get those things backwards. You know, you say, and, and this is what happens. Sometimes we say, well, if I serve in the church, then that equals my love for God. And so I'm really putting the church first is, is really what I need to do. Well, let me just say that that's an easy lie to get slid to, to fall into. Because our relationship with God is not dependent on what I do. You know, this church, I love my church. I love you. I, I love the fact that God has let me be your pastor for two years. Man, what an incredible thing. I love the fact that in this year, I'll celebrate 20 years as a part of this church family. I love that. I love my church. And so sometimes it's easy to allow what I do for the church to substitute who I am with God. And we can't do that. It's not the same. And so keep your relationship with God first. Keep your family a priority because we realize that your family uh, and family is the building block of a good local church. It's the building blocks of a good society. And we'll get to that more later as we look at later in the chapter. But then finally, don't forget, this local church is important too. So serving the Lord here is, is good. And, and just allowing the Lord to use us in that capacity. Also, recognize that we're all given the same amount of time. And so if we're going to be faithful, we've got to learn to use our time effectively. Uh, I'm recently, the Lord's been working with me about, about not just doing what's good, but focusing on what, what great things God would have for us to do. Using your time faithfully, effectively. Most unfaithful people complain that they don't have time to do what they're supposed to do. I'll, I'll, you, know what's, well, you know what I complain about? I just don't have time to exercise. Shucks. And again, a witness, amen. Anybody else with me on that one? I just don't have time to go and, and go for a run in the mornings. I'm just so busy. The reality is not that I don't have time. It's just I don't want to. I, I always tell my kids, I said, I, I tell them, a man that wants to do something will find a way. A man who doesn't will find an excuse. Every single time. I don't want to run, therefore I've got a great excuse. So how, that's how we can stay faithful. Some, just some tidbits. How we can learn to be faithful in our life. And I believe that's important. But the second thing we see about his life and his godly character was that he feared the Lord. He had a fear of God. Hananiah, it was said, feared God more than many. You see, the fear of God is a matter of degree. Some fear God little 
And some fear God more. But the fear of God grows out of the knowledge of God. Because when we see God for who He is, and we see who we are by comparison, we fall on our face and we realize that He could rightly cast me into hell at any moment. You see, we know that He has been gracious. He's extended His grace to us through Jesus Christ. And we are the recipients of God's incredible grace. The wonderful song this morning, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. No, we didn't sing that one. Grace greater than our sin. That's what we sang. I love that, that verse that says, Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. What an incredible description of grace. And that's what He deals with here. But also look in verse number 3 as he said, I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened. There's a watchfulness here. Nehemiah not only built the wall with the sword and the trowel, but he also posted guards. And he gave careful instructions. He said, listen, don't let anyone come in there that's not supposed to come in there. He trusted God, but he set up a watch. Now listen, they're not in opposition here. He just said, listen, we're going to be careful. We're going to be guarded. And Jesus warns us today to be on the alert as well. Mark chapter 13, verses 34 through 37 says... For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to, uh, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest in coming suddenly he find you say, sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. God warns us to watch. Watch for His coming. And I'm looking forward to that day. With every single news article I read, I, I just get more excited about the anticipation of His return. Brother Newland and I had a great re, uh, just a conversation before church about some of the things that he's seen in the news and some of the things that, that are coming. And we see those things and we think, Lord, it can't be long now. Man, what an exciting thing. But there's also another watchfulness we also must guard against. And 1 Peter 5.8 warns us to be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. And so watch out. Spiritual dangers are, uh, are coming. And so as married couples, we have to be on the alert to dangers that could destroy our marriage. You know, one of the things that we often get confused is who the enemy is. When we're husband and wife, and boy, we get frustrated at a situation, maybe the kids or whatever. Sometimes we, we come to the, a, a conflict and we think, well, she's the enemy, or he's the enemy. He's the problem. She's the problem. But really, the enemy is not your spouse. It's the devil. He's looking to take that situation and to, and to contort uh, your mind and your thoughts to make you, you believe that your spouse is the enemy. So be on guard. Be watchful. Parents, we've got also be, have to be alert to the dangers that can destroy our children. Man, they're, they're everywhere today, aren't they? I'm thankful for, uh, my, for godly parents who still have a desire to bring their children to church and to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But we must be watchful. As church leaders, we, we have to be careful. We have to be alert because wolves desire to destroy the flock. Listen, at a time of success, at a time when it would make sense for Nehemiah to come off like a Super Bowl uh, victory and be able to say, man, we've got a ticker tape parade and, and boy, we're going to have a great time or we're going to party in the streets. Instead of doing that, he said, listen, we're going to appoint a watch. 
We're going to make sure that this place stays secure. We can't, so we can't uh, kick back and relax, but instead we must be careful. We must be watchful. We must recognize that God is still needing and on uh, godly uh, people with godly character to help guard the house of God. But we see here, finally, this last point in verses 4 through verse 73, people matter to God. If you look at the genealogical records here, sometimes we look at these and we think, well, they're not that important. But to the Jews, they were very important. Because when the Messiah came to this earth, he would need to have his lineage traced back. You see, that was important for the Messiah, but it was also important to prove that who the Levites were and who the priests could be. And so these things were very important. So we look through this list and we think, ah, that's not that important. But it was essential for those people. Because let me just say, there's a couple of things about people that make it important. Let me say that God says individuals are important. You and I, each of us are important. If you look down through here, you'll see that there are individual names who came up with Zerubbabel in verse 7 or 7, Je Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, and, uh, Ramaiah, and I'm not going to go on through all the ayahs there, but let me just say that he names them specifically because people are important to God. Aren't you thankful that God knows us by name? In the New Testament, he says that he knows the hair of our head. Some of them are growing a little more gray. He knows which ones are gray and which ones are, are still have color. He knows if you have hair or don't have hair. Amen. He knows about you. He knows you. And the Bible says that like a good shepherd, he even calls us by name. John chapter 10 describes him in verses 3 and 4. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. What an incredible picture of our God. He knows us by name. You know, I think about the billions of people. We're approaching quickly 8 billion people on this earth. Seems like just yesterday it was 7 billion. But I think it's over 7.5 billion people on the earth today. And as we look at that astronomical number, it's hard to fathom where all these people are stuck until you go to Seoul, South Korea. Can I get an amen? You go to Seoul, South Korea, and you're like, oh, they're all right here. <laughs> But, you know, in, in our church, I try to remember everyone's name. People who are visiting, people who are our, our, our members, people who are regular attenders. And I try to learn people's name. And when someone visits, I write down their name. But I'll be honest, there's very often I, I fail and forget. People I've known for 20 years, I'll look at them and say, yeah, hey, you. But you know what's great? God never forgets. He never stumbles, he never fails, he never says, uh, hey you brother with the glasses reading your Bible right there, hey you, what's your name again? He never does that. God knows you and God knows me because individuals are important. God sees that each life is valuable to him. Each unborn life, each, each life in their elder years, every life is valuable to God. And you know what's sad is some people will, will cry out and, and say, Lord, you know me. But the, last, the sad thing is, is they never truly put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Matthew 7, 23 says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because they never put their faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't truly his sheep. They didn't really follow him. And so let me just say, he gives eternal life to his sheep, and they'll never perish. Make sure you know him tonight. But we see also in this list, 
as we go down through there in verse number 8 through 25, that it begins to talk about families. And verse 8 says, the children of Parosh, 2,172. That's a bunch of kids. And we look at down through there, and we could read down through verse 25, and we see that, that God lists for us many different family groups. God designed the family as a basic unit of society. A man and woman, according to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, are to come together, they leave their father and mother, and they cleave unto one another. That's God's design for family, for the building blocks of society, for the building blocks of the church. And so it's in that context, we see children are to be born, children are to be reared in God's ways as revealed in His Word. And so the family is, is then an essential part of any solid society or even any local church. Now, if you're single today, that's not to devalue you or your life. Even Paul uh, went un unmarried, but we see that God says that the building block of the church is going to be those families. And so a church is only strong when the families in that church are strong. That's why it's so essential that as a father and as a mother, God allows us to fulfill the roles that He's called us to fulfill in our marriage and in our family, and that we invest in our children and in our grandchildren. It's no wonder that Satan today, Satan knows the value of your family. He knows the value of each family in this, in this church, and he desires, truly desires, to destroy the families. Because he knows if he can destroy your family, he can destroy my family, he can destroy the church family. And so let us make sure that we invest in, in uh, protecting our family. But we see here also that if you look down through the list, you'll see there's a lot of, a lot of men listed. Now, this next point is not meant to, to sound egotistical or anything like that, but men are important to God. This is a society that's forgotten the value of roles. Men and women are both valuable. Both roles, both places are valuable to the Lord. The Bible elevates the women, uh, women to a status uh, that is unknown in most other religions. And a matter of fact, the Bible says that husbands are to grant their wives honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. In verse, 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And so, but at the same time, the scripture is clear that there's, there's roles in the family, and there's a hierarchy of roles in the family and in the church. Husband, husbands are the head of, the, of their wives, just as God is the head of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. We see this laid out in scriptures. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, and we see that this is, this is something that we have abandoned in 2021 and in previous years, and it has cost us dearly. And let me just say, that God, these God-ordained roles are not culturally determined. They're determined by God. And they have to do, and, they, and, they, and when we find our role, find where God wants us, and will fulfill the role that we have, women find that it is very liberating to fulfill the role that God's called for you. 
Men find that they have freedom to serve the Lord and, and to the freedom to, uh, to see their family. And, and when we feel the role that God's called us, we see our children raised up in that nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see, all of it, it plays a precious balance. When we fulfill our role, God does amazing things if we'll just trust Him. So men, your life is important. Make your life count for God. Take serious, we need to take seriously our responsibility to lead our wife and to lead our children in the things of the Lord. Listen, that doesn't mean that we sit on the TV and we bark commands. Let me just say that. That doesn't mean I abuse or take advantage of. That is not what God intended here because we are first to love like Christ loved. And I don't ever want to see, uh, and if any man was a, a just mean-spirited toward his wife, I'm telling you that is not a godly example but instead becoming a servant leader, just as Jesus led. It means actively loving your wife and training your children and don't, not dumping that job on the, the public school system or dumping that job on a teacher or dumping that job on, a, uh, on your, the preacher or the youth director or even your wife, but taking responsibility and say, listen, these are my kids, this is my family, I'm going to make my life count. Let me just mention as we, we a couple other things very quickly tonight, and, and I'll be done quickly. But let me just say, God's family matters to Him. In verse number 5, He says, And my God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people, that they might be reckoned together by genealogy. And I found the register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first, and found written therein. Nehemiah says that God put in His heart to assemble the people to be enrolled by genealogies. And then he found this book of the record uh, of those that, who first came into Jerusalem. And so it's kind of served as a map for him as, uh, and for the current enrollment of all that was going on. And so as, as we look at this, this was valuable to the Jews. You know, today we don't put a lot of stock into my physical lineage. You know, uh, you, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. How many of you are from, uh, from England in here? And you know you're from England. All right, one couple of them. Oh, good. How many of you are from Germany in here? How many of you are from all over? That's me. Amen. You know, that's my family lineage. We're from all over. I tell, I tell people, man, my family's just a bunch of mutts. We have no pure bloodline in our, in our, our, our family. We're just a bunch of uh, crazy mutts, and it shows too some days. But you know, sometimes we put a lot of stock in that physical lineage, but the most important place to put stock is in your spiritual lineage. What family do you belong to? Are you to belong to God's family? And if so, there ought to be some evidence of it. Those claiming uh, to be priests in verse number 61 through 65, we see where they had to take and they had to, had, uh, if they weren't found in this, this lineage, then they had to await until a priest could verify it by means of uh, the Urim and Thurim. And so we see here that, that our spiritual heritage is important. Let me ask you, can you give evidence of what God has done in your life? Today, it is imperative that we share our testimony with those around us. If you can't say, listen, I put my, uh, my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what He's done. This is what God has allowed me to, to do in His life. Listen, there's, some, there's some, some danger there. Finally, let me just say that God's purpose matters to Him. Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 6 and, verses num and verse 73, He deals with His purpose. You see, the people in this list returned from Babylon to Jerusalem and Judah, and they went to their own city, and they easily could have stayed in Babylon. They could have returned to where it was more comfortable, but instead these families chose to remain. Verse 73, 
So, so the priests and the Levites and the porters and the singers and some of the people and the Nethanims and all Israel dwelt in their cities. And when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Listen, they were established. They were comfortable. And it was, it was not easy to pack up and to move across hundreds of miles of territory and leave Babylon, everything they knew, and then had, had come to a land that had been ravaged by war years before and abandoned and left and to rebuild and to grow and to have a burden and to have a vision. Listen, it's not easy to do all of that. And instead of going back to Babylon where it was comfortable when the wall was done, they said, listen, we're going to plant some roots. We're going to say, listen, even through the hardships, we're going to remain and that's what we need today. God's purpose is still vital today. And God's purpose is to be glorified among uh, the nations by uh, us willing to follow Him. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, But ye are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you know Christ, He's given you a gift, resources, and opportunities to be used to bring glory to His name and to further His purpose. So let's our life count for God. You know, as we look at all that, that Nehemiah laid out here, it's good for us to learn from this godly example all that we can, whether it be in the Bible or in church history or wherever it may be, it's good to learn from a good biblical example, but it's also important to come to terms with how God made us. Listen, you're never gonna, I'm never going to be Nehemiah. I'll never be uh, in anyone else. I am who God made me. You're who God made you. But here's what we've got to come, and we've got to come and say, God, in this moment, I want to be what you made me. I'm going to fulfill the roles that you made me, whether it was like in Nehemiah 7, there were some priests, some gatekeepers, some singers, some temple servants. Each role was important to God. And so let me just encourage you to, find, uh, to, to define that role and to faithfully follow it. Jim Elliott laid down his life at 28 years old for the cause of the gospel. He wrote in his diary, Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. So tonight, let us commit our lives. Let us commit our desires. Let's commit ourselves to make sure that our lives count for God.